The following audio is presented by Grace Church. For more about us, visit discovergrace.com, or you can download our free app by searching Grace Church Orlando on your phone or tablet. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. Well, hey, good morning. Welcome to Grace. We are in week six of This is Greater Than That, taking a look at spiritual priorities in the book of Hebrews. So last week, we, we looked at Jesus as our great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, who understands our temptations. And so we took a look at him and what he's done for us and how he's worked for us. And it was, it was incredible to see how Jesus understands us, how he relates to us, how he sympathizes with us. And so that was that last week. This week, uh, we are going through chapter four, and we're entering into chapter five. And so the writer of Hebrews has been discussing Jesus as our great high priest, but he takes a break in the midst of this discussion to give a warning. And that's where we pick up today. That's our passage today. The warning is in chapter five, verse 11, all the way to chapter six, verse 12. And so he breaks away from the discussion to come and say, hey, listen, church, you need to listen to this. Be warned. And so if you're visiting today, this, this week is going to be more technical than normal. As a matter of fact, today, the passage that we're going to be covering is one of the most debated passages in all of Scripture. I mean, it is. It's up there with Romans 9. It's up there with the book of Revelations. I mean, it is debated all the way across. Scholars all over, pastors all over. It is widely debated. And I think it's the most difficult passage in the book of Hebrews. And I'm pumped about it. I'm pretty excited. So having said it's going to be incredibly technical, I do want to start with a story. And so years ago, I was a student pastor at a church and we had a growing ministry, and one of the things we did is we hired interns during the summer and sometimes year-round. And so we would hire, you know, three or four interns throughout the year to come and serve, and so they could be in college, they could be right out of college, and, uh, and they'd be ready to roll. And so I hired a guy named uh, Robert Brown. He was a uh, senior at Mercer College. He started on the Mercer Bears football team. Great guy, godly guy, loved Jesus, talked about Jesus on the field, everywhere he went. Uh, he was super disciplined. He, uh, he's not, he was a starter, so he's really good. Um, but I got to know him a little bit, and I was like, hey man, what do you think about interning at our church, working with students? And he was like, Man, that sounds awesome. What does that look like? So we kind of unraveled that. He got hired on. He had been a believer for about seven or eight years. God radically transformed his life. He was a big John Piper fan, like just all these things going in his life. He was just excited about getting into ministry. And so he jumps in, he starts serving. The students absolutely love this guy. He's a leader of, just a leader of leaders. And so he's pouring into these students, he's leading Bible studies, and I'm like, man, this guy is awesome. We need to hire him full time. He's fantastic. Like, we need to get him here somehow. So he starts this men's, or this guy's, this high school guy's Bible study in one of the richest neighborhoods in all of Macon. Gated community, houses are off the charts, and he's doing a Bible study in the clubhouse there every week. Just started, I think it was the third weekend, and I get a text from one of the students of all of these students in cars doing donuts 
all over the yard where the clubhouse is. I mean, just screaming, shouting, donuts just ripping the grass up. And I was like, what is going on? And I see my intern in one of the cars. I was like, no, no, this is fake. Like, this isn't real. They dubbed this. I don't know what this is, you know. And so I'm sitting there and he's on the text message. So I'm like, surely this is a joke. You know, like, I know he didn't just take all of our senior guys doing donuts through all the grass at one of the nicest neighborhoods in Macon, Georgia. Surely not, right? And so I'm like, hey, man, I give him a call. I'm like, hey, dude, what's going on? Uh, is, is this real? And he's like, this is silence. And I was like, what, what, what's going on, man? Like, did y'all seriously go and do donuts? And he, he's like, yeah. And I was like, man, we got meat. So I call him in. He comes, he comes in the office. And I was literally thinking, like, what are you doing? Like, what are you thinking right now? I know you probably got in the moment. I know you were excited. But doing donuts in the neighborhood and literally tearing up the grass, I mean, part of me wanted to laugh. And part of me was like, how could you do this, bro? Right? And so I meet with him. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I don't know what I was doing. I'm so sorry. And so we worked through it. We walked by grace. I took him through it. He apologized. He went crying in tears to the mom, the whole deal at the house that they let us into the neighborhood with. So it was a big deal, but I want you to hear this. I was sitting there looking at this guy who's been a Christian for, I don't know, seven, eight years. He's been, he's given his life to Jesus. He's fired up about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. And I was sitting here going like, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Have you lost your mind? I expected you to be here, but you're really here, at least in this moment. Okay. In the same way, the text this morning is that's, that's the word to the church. He's saying, hey, listen, church, I thought you would be here, but you're really over here. And I didn't expect that. And so I'm warning you to wake up. I'm warning you to listen. That's what the passage starts out with. That's the picture here. This section, this passage has more to do with the church today than maybe we realize. Chapter five, verse 11. This is what he says. The writer of Hebrews says, about this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So remember, he's having this conversation about the the priesthood, about the incredibleness of Jesus and what his priesthood means on our behalf. And then all of a sudden he takes a break and he says, about this, about this message, about Jesus's priesthood, I have a lot to say, but it's hard to explain. It's not because you can't understand it. It's because you're dull of hearing. It's because the word literally means sluggish or lazy. In other words, you, you, you've, you've just dropped off the boat. You become lazy in your hearing. Listen to this. I, but since you have become dull of hearing, He's saying, man, listen, you've regressed. This word doesn't just mean that, that they, they were just lazy on a Sunday and weren't listening to the message. No, no, God's been speaking to them over and over again. And they're kind of going, yeah, 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 I hear that. And then not doing it and not, not obeying it and not listening to it. They're regressing in their relationship with God. Another, another way of saying it, you stopped listening and obeying the Lord. You're neutral, you're apathetic 
Your state is a bigger deal than you think. So, verse 12. For though by this time, listen to this, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. In other words, by now you should be a teacher. Instead, someone is needing to teach you. You should be leading You should be working. You should be living out this so-called faith that you had. But no, no, no. Someone's having to teach you the basics of Christianity. Again, what are you doing? That's what he's saying. You should be leading this walk in the front of others at this point in your life. So let me make this practical for us, okay? I know this is heavy, but listen. How many of you are in this room today and have claimed to be a believer for years. And over the years, you haven't grown in your walk with the Lord. You're still the same place that you were five years ago, three years ago, one year ago, 10 years ago. You're still in the same place. You're still struggling with the same things, or maybe you've just kind of shunned God. You're here you're listening, but you're not really obeying. You're not really applying. You're not really living it out. Let, let, me, let me spell it out in practical terms, what this means for us today. You've been a believer for how long and you don't read your Bible? What? What? Really? You've been a believer for how long and you don't share your faith? What? You've been a believer for how long and you don't tithe to the church? What? You've been a believer how long and you only pray when you need something? What? You're half smiling and half going, (laughs) right? What? What are you doing? He's saying, he's saying, think, you think you're in a better spot than you really are and you need to wake up. That's what he's saying. I mean, think of it in this terms. When you start dating someone, okay, you put all your, your best feet forward, right? You, you're, you're loving, you're listening, you're engaged during the dates, you're planning out these events, right? And everything's going great. And then you date for a while, and then you get engaged, and then you get married, and all of a sudden the listening starts to go away, right? The dates start to trip off. And then everything starts to trickle. But notice this. Notice in a relationship, if you aren't investing in that relationship, if you aren't putting energy and effort and applying to that relationship, what happens? It starts to fall away, doesn't it? It starts to go down. You, you think you're in a great spot, but then all of a sudden you wake up and your wife has left you for someone else, right? Right? That's the picture here. Hey, listen, you think you're in a better spot than you really are. Are you really not doing these things? Are you not really not living out the Christian life? What are you doing? Right? Then he says this. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone, verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Let me say it another, in the word of the gospel, in the word of the truth, in the word of the Bible. You're unskilled in those things since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, 
For those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. I want you to feel this picture for a second. I was hanging out. Listen, me and my wife, we have four kids, four girls. And um, one of the things that we've done every year that we've had a child, every time, my wife nursed the baby all the way to one year. At the end of the year, she would wean the baby off and we would go on a weekend getaway. It was just what we did. It was our rhythm. It was a way for us to have health. It was a way to our, for us to invest in our marriage, to get away. And so every year that we had a baby, a year would pass, we'd go away. So I was hanging out and we were talking about, um, actually, I wasn't talking about this. I was just around. And so it was all these moms who had babies that were talking and they were talking about nursing, okay? And one of the moms, this is what caught my attention. I promise I wasn't listening otherwise, but like it caught my attention when she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. They were talking about how long they nursed their child. And one of the moms goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the last one was like four or five. And I was like, Oh, did you just say four or five years old? You're still nursing your, your child? Like, wow, what? Like, yeah, I was sitting there going like four or five, I mean, eight, 10, what, what are we talking about, right? What's the picture? The picture is you nurse a baby, right? Not a full grown kid. I mean, you get what I'm saying? That's the picture here. He's saying, do you not see that you shouldn't be having milk like a baby? No, you should be having solid foods. You should be further along in your walk with the Lord than you are right now. Do you see that? He's like, what? The writer of, of Hebrews is saying that. You're not taking Jesus seriously enough in your life. So quit doing donuts in the neighborhoods right? And get serious about your walk with the Lord. I mean, I, so I, I want to pull those out. I, I want to stay here for a second. In the same way that I'm saying, you haven't read your Bible, you haven't done this, you haven't done that. In the same way with your relationship with your spouse, if you don't invest money into your marriage, guess what? It suffers. If you don't have communication with the person that you're married to, it suffers, right? If you don't talk to other people about your relationship, it says something about your relationship, right? It says that you don't really care about it, that it's not really a focus on you, right? That's the same picture with the Lord, saying, what are you doing? And then we continue on, therefore, chapter six, therefore, in light of this, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. So I want to share a story with you to kind of bring the picture. There's a, a gentleman who listens online to the messages at this campus every week. He's not a believer, okay? but he listens every week. And I heard about this conversation that he was having with a coworker at his job. And you know what the conversation was about? This guy who he was talking to claims to be a believer. 
And the guy was talking about, you know, yeah, uh, you know, with God and with our relationship with, with Christ, he's like, you know, we got to do certain things in order to be saved. The guy who's not a believer, okay, steps in and said, hey, man, that's not accurate. I've been listening to these messages. It's not by our works that we're saved. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that we're saved. So, hey, man, you got the gospel wrong. This is an unbeliever speaking to a guy who claims to follow Jesus. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, listen, we need to lay across what we should know, the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, that he rose from the dead, and that we have life only and only through him, right? Leave this stuff, the repentance from dead works and faith toward God. It doesn't mean that we move away from the gospel. It means we have the gospel. We know the gospel. We speak the gospel and then we learn more. We grow more, right? That's the picture. These Jewish Christians were tempted to revert back to Judaism and place their trust in former things. Practices, washings, laying of hands, the basics on the resurrection and judgment. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? What are you talking about, man? You should know this by now. You're a believer. That's what he's saying. Now comes the warning. If you don't grow, it will be bad news for you. If you don't grow, if you don't hear this warning, if you don't heed this word, it's going to be bad news for you. This is where all the debate comes into this passage. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the passage, and then I'm going to give you the four views, and then we're going to discuss it. So here we go. Chapter 6, verse 4. For it is impossible, big word, in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good news of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. Big term. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding them up to contempt. And so I want to give you the four most popular views. There's others as well, but these are the four most popular. So there's going to be a, a screen. So these are the different views on the, on the right here. And then across the top, it's going to be answering certain questions just to give you a layout. So when it comes to this passage, we're asking the question, to whom are the warnings addressed? What is the sin warned against? And what are the consequences of the sin warned against? Okay, so like I said, we're going to be going a little deeper today. So the first one is the Arminian view. And so to whom are the warnings addressed? It's to Christians. What is the sin warned against? It's apostasy. It's someone who believes or claims to believe in Jesus and then reverts back, leaves the faith, walks away, says, yeah, I trusted in Jesus, but now I'm leaving. I've apostized, Right? What are the consequences of the sin warned against? Loss of salvation. So that's the first view, okay? Second view, free grace view. To whom are the warnings addressed? Christians, what is the sin warned against? Lack of fruitfulness. What are the consequences of the sin warned against? 
loss of reward. So they would look at this passage and they would go, it's two Christians, but he's not talking about salvation. What he's talking about is that they're lacking in fruit and so they're gonna lose rewards. Like in the wilderness in the Old Testament, when Moses doesn't enter into the land, he loses his reward in that sense. It's an earthly consequence. It's the second view. Third view, test of genuineness. Whom is it addressed to? Almost Christians slash mixed audience. So people who are like engaged but haven't really accepted Jesus, people who say they they claim to be believers maybe but really aren't a mixed audience. So I, I, I I wanna push on that for a second. If it's addressed to mixed audiences, is it really addressed to the believers as well? It's an inconsistency in my my book, but almost Christians, mixed audience, really it's addressing non-Christians. That's what it means. So what is the sin warned against? Apostasy, reverting and leaving the faith. So people who are claiming to be Christians and they leave the faith, okay? What are the consequences of the sin warned against? They were never saved. So this is a warning. Hey, you need to test yourselves in this. If you aren't bearing fruit or if you aren't living out your faith, man, bad news, you need to wake up. You're not where you think you were. Fourth view, means of salvation. To whom is it addressed? Christians. What is the sin warned against? Apostasy. What are the consequences of the sin warned against? Loss of salvation. So in this view, It holds that God gives warnings to believers and says, hey, listen, if you don't turn, if you don't come back to me, if you don't put your faith in me until the end, then you will lose your salvation. If you reject me, you will lose your salvation. So he sees, this view sees warnings as a means of salvation for Christians. God uses warnings to turn us back to him and he therefore saves us in the end. So that's the four views. All right, so let's jump in. Let's take a look at the text. Verse four, okay? By the way, you can leave that up on the screen. By the way, lots of Christians believe in different views, okay? So I'm gonna tell you mine in a minute uh, and we're gonna get there. So verse four, for it is impossible. I wanna stop at that word for a second. Does that word really mean impossible? The other times that it's used in Hebrews, I want you to hear this and I want you to see it. This is how he uses the word impossible. It is impossible for God to lie, Hebrews chapter six, verse 18. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins, chapter 10, verse 14. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Chapter 11, verse six. And then what does he do? He gives five descriptions of the person he is addressing. I believe that these are different manifestations of one single event and that of salvation. Take a look. In the case of those who have been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, in the case of those who have been enlightened. So let's take the first one. The word enlightened is used only one other time in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 32. And it's used as a person 
who is a believer, who after being enlightened, i.e. coming to Jesus, that they suffer in their faith. It's the only other time in the book of Hebrews that the word enlightened is used, okay? Second phrase, who have tasted the heavenly gift. Heavenly gift, most likely to me, when I read this, is a reference to new life. In the New Testament, the gift that is given oftentimes is oftentimes a Holy Spirit gift or the gift of righteousness, Romans 5, 17. It points to something transcendent. It points to something coming down like new life. But I wanna focus on this word for a second, the word tasted. It could mean partial taste. I mean, when, when we're speaking nowadays, when we say, hey, you wanna taste this, it means you want a little touch. Do you want a little piece, right? Do you want a taste, Right? In the New Testament, it can mean that, but generally speaking, it means to fully experience. To fully experience. And the only other use of this word in the book of Hebrews is this. Hebrews 2, nine. I'm sorry, out of the five, this is, this is one of them. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might what? He might taste death for everyone. Does that seem like a partial taste? Does that seem like a piece? No, Jesus died fully. He fully experienced death on what? On our behalf, right? Let's keep going and have shared in the Holy Spirit. And this, is this, the question is, is this a salvific sharing or have I been around church and seen the Holy Spirit at work? In other words, was I just the guy that showed up, man, God's doing all this incredible things, I'm kind of interested, I've tasted, right? Or is it a salvific experience? The word shared in the book of Hebrews, it's shared five, it's used five other times. And every single time, it's not a partial sharing. It means they've truly shared. But not only that, what is a consistent sign that someone is a believer in the New Testament? Most of us would say baptism, right? It's an outward sign of an inward change in your heart. You're baptized and everybody sees that you're a believer. In the New Testament, that's true. What's the other sign? What's the significant sign that you're a believer? It's reception of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. Listen to this. Galatians 3, 1 through 5. When the Galatians were tempted to be circumcised, Paul reminds them that they are truly believers. Why? Because they received the Holy Spirit. Acts 15, 7 through 11. Peter's confirmation that Cornelius, a Gentile, is actually a believer. What's, what's the sign? that he received the Holy Spirit, all right? Romans 8, ch chapter eight, verse nine. Those who don't have the Holy Spirit aren't believers. It's the sign. It's the recognition in the New Testament that they are believers, not just baptism, but the reception of the Holy Spirit, okay? Next one, verse five. And have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Goodness of the gospel message. It points to, I think, Hebrews chapter 13, verse seven. And he says this, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you, 
who spoke the message of truth, who you were supposed to live your life after. Remember, he spoke that word to you, and now I've seen all this fruit in your life. I've seen that you've suffered and remained. That's what he's saying. That they've tasted the goodness of the word of God fully. They've heard the message that's been preached to them. They've received that message, and now they live out that message. And the powers of the age to come, man, this is, this is like, wow. The powers of the age to come, who receives that? Who's a part of that? Think about it. It's experienced by these individuals. When we receive end time blessings, when do we receive that? At salvation. We do. It's the already, but the not yet. We're already seated in the heavens with Jesus, Colossians, right? But then one day we will fully and finally receive that power of the age to come. Obviously, y'all see where I'm going with this, right? I'm, I'm, I'm preaching it though. I want you to see this. This is a believer who has experienced life transformation and is tempted to fall away. And then verse six, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up in contempt. I want you to ask this question. If you are not a believer, how are you restored again to repentance? I mean, since they're, this is heavy language, crucifying once again. How is an unbeliever who shows up to church on a Sunday, decides, hey, I've heard the gospel, I've lived it out, and I'm rejecting it now. How is that re-crucifying Jesus on the cross? I, that's a hard question. To their own harm and holding him up to contempt. What it means is, is that they're literally, when a person rejects Christ after they've accepted Christ, it throws shame on him again like the shame that he received on the cross. That's strong language. But then it goes into the illustration. He says, hey, let me, let me, I want you to see this. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those who for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. In other words, there's a land, it's rained, and this crop in the land bears this fruit. But... Verse eight, but if it bears thorns and thistles, it's worthless and near to being cursed and its end is to be burned. Strong language. So there's this land and if it rains and it bears fruit, awesome. But if thorns and thistles grow up, it's gonna be burned. It's gonna be eternally judged. That's my view of this. So I don't see this as a loss of rewards. I'm gonna start diving in. I don't see this as a loss of rewards. Here's why. There's several other reasons, but in this, a lot of people who believe in the loss of rewards or lack of fruitfulness view, they would say, see, it's the fruitfulness. Is it really? Check this out. For the land, not the crops, the land represents the people. For the land doesn't bear crops that bear fruit. No, no, the land is gonna be burned. It's not the fruit that's lacking, it's the land that's lacking. It's the, it's the root, it's, it's what's going on here, right? So it's gonna be burned. So I see that as eternally judged. Couple other reasons why I think this is a believer, okay? Here's why. 
Every other passage, there's five warnings in the book of Hebrews. Every other one, as we talked about in chapter three, is a warning to believers, okay? Why all of a sudden we get to the middle and it's like, oh, now it's a warning not to a believer. Really? They're synoptic. They go together. They're warnings to the church, to the people of God. Here it is, okay? Verse nine, though we speak in this way, this is where my view comes in. He says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, yet in your case, friends, yet in your case, brothers, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation, in time salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown because you're a believer for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope when until the end, those who persevere till the end will be saved. So that you may not be, notice the word here, sluggish. It's the same word as dull of hearing. Those are two bookends. The warning begins and the warning ends here. So that you don't be sluggish, but instead imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Notice he says, I'm warning you. If you stay in your immaturity and fall away, there's no coming back. But in your case, I am confident that you won't do that. I am confident that you'll heed my warning and I stand on that and I believe that and you will follow me. You will trust me. Heed this warning and turn back. Heed this warning and grow in your faith. Heed this warning, read your Bibles. Heed this warning, share Christ crucified on your behalf. Heed this warning and follow me. That is your means of salvation for you. Now, the biggest debate on this view is if God gives a warning and then you promise that we're not gonna fail, is it really a warning? Doesn't it just take the teeth out of it? I mean, where's the impact? What are you saying to me that I can lose my salvation, but I promise that you won't? Think about it like this. Here's two thoughts, okay? The first one is when it comes to faith, we believe in the sovereignty of God all throughout the scriptures. We believe that God saves, right? But we also believe that we have a responsibility before God, right? So I believe that God elects those to believe, right? That he chooses, that he saves, that he does those things, that it's God's power that saves me and not my own, right? But at the same time, I wouldn't say to somebody, hey, guess what? It's all done. Y'all, good luck. You don't have to repent. You don't have to have faith. You don't have to turn to Christ. You don't have to cry over your sin. You don't have to weep over the things that you've done. No, no, no. I mean, God's gonna do what he's gonna do. What is it? Repentance and faith is a means for our salvation. I would never tell anybody, hey, God's got it all worked out. I don't really care what you do. No, no, no. You better repent and you better respond to the gospel or you're gonna go to hell, man, right? In the same way, he say, listen, church, I'm warning you. If you don't grow in your faith, if you start to trickle back and then you turn away, I'm gonna reject you. Turn from that and turn to me. I'll give you another example. Acts 27, Paul gets stuck on a ship, right? He's with all these guys. This huge storm comes. An angel comes to Paul and he says, hey, listen, 
You're gonna be fine. Everybody's gonna be safe. Don't worry. What does Paul do? He's in the boat. He turns to all the people. They're all losing their minds. They're, they're frantic. And he says, hey, hey, listen, stay on the boat or you will die. Stay on the boat or you will die. Now, Paul could have said, hey, God said it's all gonna work out. You do whatever you want. No, 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 no. They're gonna stay in the boat and they did stay in the boat because they heeded God's warning and God saved them. Was it a real consequence in the sense of, could you jump off that boat and die? Absolutely, but you're not going to because God has got your heart, because God has got your soul. It's a means of salvation for you. So that's, that's the view that I hold. I believe consistent throughout this book that he's speaking to believers and he's saying, I'm warning you, listen, take heed. Heed my warning and follow me. So if you're here this morning and you're not growing and you're regressing and you're, you're being tempted to revert back, turn back to Jesus. Turn back to Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that, that you speak, that you warn us, that you work in our lives, God, that I just pray that we would heed your warnings. I pray for those who are in here that, God, that they're struggling. God, that you would minister to them, that you would, God, that you would encourage them and help them and turn them back to you. God, I pray that your word would not go void. I pray, God, that you would do a great and mighty work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.